I've got on my machine Scott Murray doing a minute by minute on Guardian Football. Is this not the Don Daddy of MBMers? I would I would suggest between him and Rob Smythe, you've pretty much nailed it, yes. Um, those of us who also serve trailing their wake a little bit. <laughs> is it not? It's uh, almost 20 years, isn't it? Was it 2001, 2002? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Scott and Rob were doing that at the time. I worked for ESPN. We did something quite similar uh, with a slightly uh, different system. Uh, we used to have a guy called Chris Borg, who works at the Telegraph these days, as a sub there. And uh, Chris was, it was a genius at this. But it has to be said that um, Rob and Scott almost invented their own language. Um, and Rob, actually, with uh, doing um, cricket as well, produced this sort of interactive thing. Now, if you do the MBMs, which I did three of them, I think, over the weekend, the interactive thing isn't quite what it used to be, I don't think. And then again, but I am not as big a name as Scott and Rob. But you have regular correspondence, I suppose. They've got this thing where they set up this conversation with the reader. So that you can watch a fairly tedious game between, I mean, as, as I speak to you now, Chelsea and Everton's on. If this game's bad, they have the ability to produce a conversation, um, drop in some videos, drop in some content, and away you go. I suggest if I, when I do it, I have to spend a bit more time concentrating on what's going on. Um, maybe they time quicker than I do as well. I'm just reading just this. I don't know if it's parody or pastiche or satire. Everton get the ball rolling, but only after everyone takes the knee. There's no room for racism. Kick it out. On the face of it, that's what taking the knee is. Kick it out. But by quoting the two phrases and sticking them next to each other, it just makes me think that maybe the reader knows that what the footballers taking the knee are trying to do is a bit... Not cack-handed, it would be cack-kneed. But uh, you forget, this is The Guardian... TheGuardian.com. Are you aware that... Um, I'll just quote the numbers at you, as you know, because uh, it will make the, the people who care about such things happy. 1.24 million people on Facebook, 850,000 followers on Twitter. Um, popular. Do you, do you realise you're being read by thousands of people when you do these? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Funny enough, I think the biggest um, sporting events I've done have been boxing matches. Those have been because the, the the fight is behind a paywall. So people want to keep in touch with it. They're probably, well, in the old days, they were sat in a pub or something like that, and they're just pushing refresh and seeing what's happened in the, in the boxing. But, um, yeah, you're well aware of, of how big the audience is for World Cup matches back in 2018. I think over a million clicks a game was fairly standard for the games involving the bigger teams. So, yeah. But earlier on in my career, maybe 10 years ago or so, uh, there was this idea of uh, a second screen about the time that your, I suppose, mobile phones became... Uh, Savvy know, enough to s- do it, yeah. Yeah, smartphones, yeah. Um, this idea, and, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, when you watch a game, I, I watch it most of the time, WhatsApping my friends about what's going on and WhatsApping colleagues or whatever. You know, a lot of the time, you're not really even watching the game, you just interacting with other people to watch it and you're on Twitter or whatever and uh, I think that's a big part of uh, why those MBMs are so big and as you said before it's something that's been going for 20 years but I suppose it's evolved over the years it's quite basic technology I suppose but it remains very popular Uh, and when you look at 
you know, which were the most logged into pages on the website, it's always among, at, the, at the top. That's brilliant. I read a really good interview that Ian McIntosh did with Scott, and I read it because I wanted to know more about the chap who wrote the book, the title that I presume you've read, although I'm not going to say that you absolutely have read it. Well, I have a copy of it here, yeah. I went, actually went to the book launch of that, so yeah, I have read it, yep. yeah. Professional obligation because you're a colleague of Scott Murray's at The Guardian. I believe you're... Is it, what is your job role? Is it kind of Minister Without Portfolio, or are you the web editor of Guardian Sport? No, 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 no. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a freelance journalist, uh, and I work on the... I mean, I work three, four, five days a week these days, so... Um, I work on the production team. I might be a valued member of the production team. I don't know if I am or not. But I'll anyway, ask around. Uh, I'll send some emails. Yeah. But I, I worked for a very large European football organisation, .com. Okay. And so I have done minute by minutes, and there were times where I'd be watching two games at once. But because sometimes there was a reporter in the ground, all I would yeah. have to do is the voice of European football organisation association.com and so it would be very factual and it would all be in meters and we had to caption pictures like all smiles or Lewandowski scores again and stick in all the stats but I mean I, I've, I've done something similar I think I've worked for the same .com as well oh great uh, it's a bit more formulaic a bit more staid let's say than mm-hmm. working for the Guardian there's, yeah. yes there's less option for creativity but uh, having worked in that environment uh, you do get familiar uh, characters popping up in your match blogs. And even by the time I'd finished that, I'd, I had my last shift at the end of 2019. I just ended up less enamoured by the tournaments that this organisation put on. I would probably want to follow boxing or Formula One. You also do the lap-by-laps of certain yeah, yeah. races. Is there one MBM that you thought of gouging your eyes out if you weren't being paid to do it? Has there been one above all the others that has no, been just no, no, horrific? No, 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 not one that springs to mind. I've done quite a lot of Brighton recently. I did them on Saturday, in fact, and uh, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah, there are certain teams that when you, you, know, you see your name written on a list and you might see Brighton or Burnley. Now, in the end, there's always something to talk about. In the past, maybe not so much this season, I always used to find a little bit dull. That was Arsenal because Arsenal games always tend to be quite similar. You know, the, the team plays quite quite well, and then they fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, despite Arsene Wenger's, uh, I suppose you, you would call them pretensions, but his his aim of making his team play good football, they were actually it had actually become quite boring for quite a long time. The thing is, these days though, you've got. I mean, uh, yesterday I did the Liverpool Fulham game, which was actually very interesting to do because, you know, you, you are watching the, the death of a dynasty yeah. or whatever. I mean, the problem is, you know, it would take it as an overall point, in this, what we've got to call some, some pandemic football, the level isn't that good. A lot of the players aren't fit. The players have been worked very hard. It's quite difficult, I would say, even for the likes of Scott, to, uh, you know, to, to, to not be generic about what's going on because... Um, what you're watching is essentially something of a... It's a box-ticking exercise quite a lot of the time. Now, Liverpool's descent has given us a story to work on. The Manchester derby that followed that was interesting because the City's uh, uh, long-running winning run came to an end. But uh, you are at that point where you're thinking, does this actually matter? Yeah, precisely. uh, 
And I'm afraid, yes. I'm afraid I'm trying to read. And I, I listened to the very end of the Manchester derby yesterday. It was John Murray and Robbie Savage, who were probably yep. the better ones. And I, I yeah, couldn't yeah. get it. There was no atmosphere. It was all stayed. Anthony Taylor was a fair, good referee. Uh, just looking at what Scott has said, Chelsea have started confidently, establishing some early control. Space and time at a premium right now. It looks that way from you know just uh, looking over the top of my Zoom. It's this is at the t- this is at the point of the time where you say it's an intriguing tactical battle, or both teams are keeping it tight, or whatever. Yeah, Everton uh, look you... happy to sit back and wait for a chance to counter. Yeah. So it isn't art. It's not a science. These match reports, and of course, um, you. Uh, MBM'd probably one of my top five games I've ever seen. I was at Wembley Stadium in 2019 when Wolves went two up against Watford and Watford came back and won the game. Could you sense, little old Watford, um, who are not owned by Fosun, that it was a wonderful day for just the town of Watford to come back and win that game, notwithstanding the De La Feu story, the Dini story, the Javi Gracia story and da-da-da? Uh, yeah, I suppose I must have done. Yeah, I'll let you into a trade secret. Uh, a game that goes into extra time is not always that welcome. But uh, no, I know. I know. Especially when you've got a last train to catch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you got a train, or you've got uh, at that point uh, in the back in the good old days, we'll be working in a newspaper office, mm. and the chaps actually putting the newspaper together really don't like extra time. No. Uh, for obvious reasons, because it pushes against their deadlines, but. Yeah, I remember that. That, that was a, a great game, wasn't it? Yeah. Watford lost a semi-final. What would it be? Two, three years before that? Two years before that, was it? Uh, against um, Crystal Palace, it yeah. would have been, wouldn't it? So, uh, Delefeu had one of those days, didn't he? A very talented player. You can tell me. That's got to be the best he's ever played for the team. Yes. I would have thought. Well, I, yeah. and, and it was a, a masterstroke because he'd had a terrible game midweek and so he was on the bench which of course if you're yeah. a player as talented as Delefeu who is our it was our Messi because you give him the ball and he does something marvellous with it and it was yes. smart managing from Javi Gracia because I think Gray starts in the end and if Gray doesn't work you can always haul him off and also you want quick legs to run at tired defenders so the narrative of that game was such that it almost looked um, inexorable from when De La Feu scored that first goal. Because if he'd scored that goal and Watford had lost 2-1, hell of a consolation goal. Um, I can't. Yeah. I didn't look up how you described it, but I imagine you went, oh my word, or something. Oh, well, presumably so, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a stock phrase? Are, are there lots of stock phrases that happen when ball hits net? Um, the word oh is used quite a lot. Oh no, oh wow, that type of thing, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah well, <laughs> when you're typing out those goals, it, that's the most difficult part, actually, a lot of the time, because you have to... You know, key in the info, uh, and you want it to be as quick as possible. But what can also happen is you spend a significant amount of time keying in what happened with the goal, and then you miss what happens next. Which now, obviously, I did a game the other day where there was two goals in quick succession, and it's like one minute there's a goal, and then there's another goal, and it, it's good to have the next comment as some sort of context of what has happened. There is a there is a discussion actually over whether you just type out such and such score and then use it for the next comment. But I, I think that the uh, house style is to try and get as much info as you can in there as quickly as possible in that actual goal comment because that's the one that the readers on the mobile site or the actual website can click through. So, um, yeah. It, hmm. it, it, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh no, O'Brien, I think I put for the other <laughs> night. Well, no. 
Uh, 14 minutes. Chelsea ping a few triangles. The Everton lines hold firm. A slow burner, this. Scott Murray, 20 years in the game. Uh, he wrote this book called The Title, which is about football before 1992. Yes. Um, your, your colleagues also include Michael Butler, Nick Ames, Paul Doyle, and the insert adjective here, Barry Glendenning. Laconic, sardonic, lugubrious. Yeah, yeah those all work, yeah. Yeah, I know he's sensational. He, his columns are great. His style is wonderful. Do you all, because um, you stepped into this role in 2014 at The Guardian? No, I've been there since 2018. 2018. ESPN before that, yeah, yeah. which we will um, we will hit. But so so since 2018, would you commute in to King's Place in King's Cross and work on the sports floor? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, it's funny actually. I'd not worked for an office for many years, and uh, then obviously I haven't worked in an office for the last year. But yeah, um, I live not too far away, half an hour away through London, um, and yeah, into a a pretty often pretty packed floor of uh, people especially busy on Saturdays and Sundays when they're putting together the Observer and then the Sunday for Monday newspaper which is you know there's quite a lot of inf- uh, matches gone on the setup is that if you're doing live coverage you are sat there with headphones on uh, on a pretty snazzy old Mac that I think they're probably getting a bit tired and old these days and there's a screen and you you tap away to your heart's content I mean, it took a while actually for me to do quite a few MBMs. I think the first one I did actually was a uh, De Classica, a game which just played over the weekend. Actually, yeah. I hadn't really seen VAR before that. Of course, and a goal, yeah. a goal was ruled out by VAR, and our boss there, uh, James Dart, had to run over to tell me that the goal had been disallowed, which I completely missed. Now, in mitigation for myself. I think that the TV commentators on BT had uh, had thought that I didn't hadn't noticed that either. So uh, <laughs> all, all very all very odd. Um, we've got used to VAR now, and one thing I would say about VAR is that that gives you a little bit more delay time over working out what's gone on because you have that point where everybody waits to see if it actually is a goal, uh, and that gives you just that little bit more time to to collect yourself and type out what's happened. Or as I call it, there are two kinds of football, the one that's easier for minute-by-minute writers and the one I like. It's uh, I don't know who your team is. Who do you support? Well, I grew up as a Manchester United fan from from being about six or seven. About the time that I became a reporter on the road, which would be 2011, 12, 13, I sort of, that sort of slipped to one side, even though I did go and watch quite a lot of United games for... For ESPN, um, I'm from Macclesfield in Cheshire. Oh, wicked! They, they well, let, let's say they were my team as well, but um, obviously they went bust. Uh, they're now called Macclesfield FC. They're waiting for a slot in the Northwest Counties League for next season. The aforementioned Robbie Savage is involved as uh, director of football. I read the piece. Real... I read the Guardian piece. Yeah, it, yeah, there's a real rebuilding process going on there, which is great. I only follow it really through social media these days. Obviously, I've I've been up to Macclesfield only once in the last year, but um, that club is hopefully on the way back. And in my, you know, when I was a kid, when I was at school, before Matt got into the football league, which was in uh, 1996, 
when was it 1997 I think it was 97 it, it was a proud non-league club and it, it uh, perhaps those were happier days than actually been in the football league where apart from one season where they went up to the what was called the division two back then the third tier mm-hmm. uh, it was quite a lot of the time a, a real struggle to, to keep afloat money was money was very tight uh, to the point where uh, at the end money became well too tight to mention yeah, very to red quote, uh, very to good. quote another, to yeah. quote another man, he's fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, he's from Hyde actually, Mick Hucknall, and he's a yeah. uh, he's a, he's a simply he's they're called simply red because as well as being left leaning, uh, he was a United fan and had red hair, so yeah. it all added up for. There you go. Still about, although he looks rather weathered. He's got a very weathered face. That's what I'd say if I were commenting on a simply red gig. But this. Um, Yes, Macclesfield. We wish well. We don't know what non-league is going to look like next year. I read. Well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I will stick good. to watching the slash footballs coverage because I've read David Conn and Barney Roney, and I went to university with Johnny Lou, uh, so they're all doing very well, and they're yes. part of. If we discount venture capital-funded football websites, which have their merits, or Rupert Murdoch-owned football um, supplements. I think the Guardians is the market leader. Does it? Did you apply for the job in 2018, or did um, they come to you and make you an offer that you couldn't refuse? Uh, well, um, funny enough, uh, Scott Murray's book launch was quite central to that. At the time, uh, I said I was working for ESPN. Scott uh, was someone I've become friendly with over the years. He invited me along to the launch of the book, the title, and that evening I met uh, Philip Cornwall, who is production manager or uh, head of production uh, forgive me philip if i've got your job title wrong there we uh, chatted that evening maybe six seven months later my time at espn came to its end and then uh chucked out a few emails out there and uh, was put on to philip and of course as we'd met before he set me up with some shifts and it's been that way since really basically i was a warm body yes <laughs> I feel- <laughs> and uh, I, I filled the shifts and I've been, even been known to turn up on time and all the rest of it. So I work there for freelance, but I work there pretty regularly. There's a few of us that have a pretty similar arrangement, of, of which Scott and uh, Rob Smythe are, t- are two of them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty tight team. I'm not a made guy at the Guardian. Well, I've, as the, you, I've spoken as you, to one of the main guys and he told me he was writing freelance for 50 years because I presume John Wilson was freelance he said no 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 I've been staffed for two years uh, and I spoke to John about all his books uh, and also yeah. the blizzard issue 40 will be out as this goes live and can I yes. congratulate you and also thank you for writing that piece the Nevilles and the Gallaghers I thought that was a really good angle to approach a very familiar topic oh well thank you yeah was... um well, the idea for that came up I mean Jonathan is a is a good friend of mine um that was uh, when my time at ESPN came to its end. Uh, I wrote a. I came up with this. Uh, I spent a lot of time watching the TV <laughs> when I was on gardening leave. Um, mm. All good preparation for a pandemic. Quite, yeah. And I noticed that everywhere I looked, there was a Neville or a Gallagher on TV. Correct. So yeah. At, true. at that point, they were absolutely everywhere. Liam was relaunching his career. Uh, Noel was arguing uh, about it. 
Noel uh, is one of those rare people, actually, uh, and he admits this. He actually likes being interviewed and appears a lot on radio and TV, and he just likes talking. Gary Neville, had he even been to manage Valencia then? I think he had his time at Valencia come to Sky. He's a sort of one-man nation state, really, isn't he? You know, Mm -hmm. he's got his businesses, he's got his um, punditry. He attempted to be a manager. He was obviously England coach as well at one point. Also at that time, Phil Neville was becoming England uh, women's manager or coach. Uh, so, yeah, I just I just struck up on this idea that, uh, you know, I grew up in that area in the 90s and they were ubiquitous then. But it seemed odd that you know, almost 25 years on that they were still around. Um, and those of the Gallagher's, I suppose, musical generation had sort of receded into the background and, you know, the rest of the class of 92 were back on the fringes of football, really. Um, yeah, the Nevilles were in the forefront. So, yeah, that was that was the idea I came up with. And um, it was one of those pieces that was quite easy to, to write, really. You know, it was just, it was good fun, a bit of sort of cultural, uh, what, what we used to call ESPN pop culture writing, I suppose. Yes. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that, that that one was a that was good fun to to write. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm lucky that um, uh, knowing Jonathan well, that he just said, "Yeah, off you go and write what you want." Yeah. So that was that was fun. He told me that you have to be the person to write that story the best. I suppose if I were to write anything, it would be about Troy Deeney because I followed Troy's Watford career for the last eight years. Although Troy has a book out later in the year, it dead. They thought it was going to be called A Hornet in Your Face, but it's being retitled. If it's not called Troy Story, that must be because of copyright issues. But um, do you have a player that you like writing about or watching at the moment? Barney Ronay, who you mentioned, pretty friendly with when I was on the match circuit and still remain friendly with. There's one point, me and him were talking about the fact that both of us had written, in obviously, very different ways have written about Wayne Rooney more than anybody else. Now I'm not sure that's the case these days because obviously Wayne's time at the top came to the came to its end. But um, Rooney was a fascinating figure, really, uh, back in those days. Um, players that I like now, um, I mean, I wouldn't say the, uh, the player that I actually enjoyed have enjoyed watching this season, though I've only really written about in minute by minutes. Uh, would be Harvey Barnes of Leicester, who's injured at the moment. Yeah. But, um, well, he, he's like a, a throwback player from, uh, say, 20, 30 years ago, where he's quite a big lad, but he's got the big, a good touch for a big man, that old cliche. Uh, but um, he also has a very clear football brain. Um, now, the player that I would compare him to, who I, actually I'm a bit too young to have seen play, but obviously have seen quite a lot of highlights, is Ray Kennedy that played for Liverpool in the 70s and played, before that, was a centre-forward when he played for Arsenal when they won the double in 1971. But it's sort of a very laconic style of play. Uh, and he doesn't really seem to be moving quickly, but actually uh, he's eating up the ground. Um, so that is someone that I'd be interested in. Now the thing about Harvey Barnes is that his dad uh, you may remember was a guy called, well his father is called Paul Barnes no, who know. was a very a prolific uh, younger uh, lower league goal scorer in the 95-96 season York City beat Manchester United in the old 
mm-hmm. presumably in the Coca-Cola, yeah. Coca-Cola Cup, I think it probably was at that point. And it was Paul Barnes that scored a hat-trick. Now, he is Harvey Barnes's dad. Oh, wow. No, I didn't yeah. know that. I don't think some of the listeners knew that. So thank you for that. That's, yeah. that's the kind of thing you'd stick in the fiver which is the, as I'm sure 1.24 million Facebook followers know, the 5pm newsletter that someone in the department writes. And it is a thorough uh, news sheet about the day's football news. Does something happen at 4.59 that makes you go, for sake? Has um, well, no. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, without giving away too much, it's a, it's a joint process uh, in which the writer for the day composes the 300, 400 words at the top and then the rest of the team put together the rest of it but it's very much in a house style mm-hmm. uh, house style that's been the five has been around since the late 90s I think I have a recollection of 99, 2000 around then uh, you know back in the days when people received their information via uh, email um, rather than actually going on the website um, it's a joint effort between two or three of us on the day and then the writer so yeah it's um we sometimes joke if it's going out late that it's going to be the sixer yeah but uh the usual aim is to get it out around four it's it's a part of your day if, if you're on the day shift that's which, uh, so, so you become a kind of an email that people want to receive that, that their hearts will gladden by the yes. way it's, um it's all a bit average this no real excitement in either box plenty of time for everyone to get their game faces on you see if if i were blogging for europeanfootballassociation.com we'd have to say maybe something's going to happen it's the champions league it's very yeah, exciting, yeah. yeah and very corporate but the guardian can i'm, I'm not going to say sideways look because that's not a phrase but the house style is very similar to what you get on the audio side with the football weekly um, what is the nicest compliment that someone has given you being on the pod or through someone sending a tweet to you after one of your appearances on the phenomenally popular Football Weekly podcast? I don't know. Uh, so a couple of people have said that they enjoy my appearances, which are very nice. Uh, I recently, actually, uh, I had a dose of the old COVID mm. and uh, mentioned this on the uh, on the pod and actually got quite a few nice messages from people wishing me well. So that was that was nice. And thankfully, I've made a full recovery. Uh, we used to be on a, a, another podcast at ESPN. And a couple of people uh, seemed to follow me from there. Now, it's a couple of them were, were glad that I was now appearing on the Guardian podcast. And then a couple were not so glad uh, and uh, expressed this. So, yeah. Um, and I hadn't been on a podcast for four years or so, or not on a regular on one. So, um, it's interesting. But I suppose... Uh, Football podcasting. I mean, we we started it back at ESPN back in two thousand six, around actually around the same time as Football Weekly. Though uh, ESPN decided that they didn't want to keep going with that, and I stopped it in twenty fourteen. I suppose the audiences have grown and grown to the point where, well, there's a lot of football podcasts around. This case to say, uh, this is a radio show rather than a podcast. But yes, I mean, where do you start with it? Um, I will. Um, announced that if you look up from your Zoom screen, you will see that Chelsea are 1-0 up. Uh, Hudson Hudson Odoi slips a pass down the left for Alonso, who crosses low. Hoverts flicks towards the bottom right. It's heading wide by the looks of it. What is certainly clear is that the ball takes a huge deflection off Godfrey, the ball whistling into the bottom left, exclamation mark. So it's given by Scott as an own goal. I think I'm just watching it. I think that's fair to say. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the master, you know, pulled it off once more. I think that's a great description of it. Oh, what's it? And of course, Chelsea fans are now salivating. And uh, Thomas Tuchel, what a machine uh, that, that he does. Everywhere he goes, he brings wins. Uh, the other two things before we turn to ESPN and football in the past. Actually, uh, right. a couple of things. Um, the 10 things to look out for comes before yeah. uh, that's another group effort. And then the rumour mill. Now, the BBC sport websites are your immediate rival, although the Guardian is not funded by the state. Um, the the <laughs> BBC uh, gossip page seems to be the most visited page on the BBC website. Do you ever yes. think you could just make something up for the rumour mill, like a kind of Bob Holness played on Baker Street kind of rumour? Yeah. Yeah, Stuart McConey came up with that one, didn't he? Uh, yes. Um, when did football transfers become so big? I'd say around the time that football... Uh, on the internet. I mean, I know that they've been around. Uh, when it's, the story yes, it's is rumoured, yeah. There is a story that Rupert Murdoch himself invented transfer rumours, though I'm not never quite sure whether that one's true or not. But anyway, back in, I think when they introduced transfer windows, which is sometime... 2003? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's about the point that they went supernova. Now, there are certain websites out there that go crazy for uh, transfer stories. Um, I, I think that the rumour mill on The Guardian is written uh, with that sideways glance because ultimately, if you... Uh, the speculation over every player, and I remember back in the... 90s, uh, late 90s, I think. Um, I remember uh, Alex Ferguson pointing to the fact that United had been linked with almost 100 players uh, and ended up signing only three. So that shows you the um, case rate of, or the success rate of transfer talk. I think there are some good journalists out there that tend to nail these transfer stories. Uh, But Having followed them more closely when I was a, a writer and a reporter, they're very difficult to chase down. Your contacts have to be good. Your contacts aren't always going to get the story right either because things can change. Um, and I think that the the rumour mill, uh, as it's written uh, most of the time, by people like Barry and Scott, uh, I think uh, it takes, what well, you called it a sideways look at that type of thing because... Mm. There are players like, um, I mean, he ended up signing for Arsenal, Nicolas Pepe, who was linked with just about everybody at one point. I've got to say that uh, my instinct on that, having you know moved in those circles a little bit in the past, was that he was being touted around by an agent around any club that would take him, and then eventually Arsenal did take him. Uh, now, uh, let's not get into what happened there, because uh, <laughs> I think there's some dispute, but... Um, it's, it can be very agent-driven, uh, and you have to remember that at stake is someone making a lot of money out of these deals. Um, so forgive my cynicism over transfers. Oh, you know, um, you are you're very much allowed the cynicism. I'm just glad it's given the word Fabrizio Romano, who seems to be the photogenic face of the transfer window. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and Fabrizio gets some good stuff as well. Yes, know. absolutely. Works very hard, so yeah. Before we talk about a book to which you've contributed, I have two requests of you. I want this year for a couple of hashtags to become popular. And I think that the Guardian's football department will 
accede to what I want to happen. Whenever you talk about players getting picked for England at an international tournament, you talk about people being on the plane. Right. Now, I don't understand how on the plane hasn't become the hashtag of the year. Maybe because no one's going to get on a plane because it's all going to be held in London. Maybe you'll get to go. Or Britain, the Euros. If Guardian journalists can use the hashtag on the plane when talking about Luke Shaw or Harry Kane, that'd be fab. And also Varkley's. Varkley's. Right, I see. I see where you're going with that one, yeah. Yeah, which is actually how you'd pronounce Barclays in Spanish. I suppose just keep calling it. But yeah, I don't like how people call it the Gazprom or the Barclays. It turns it into like a, a grail. It's it's a sponsored grail. Uh, it's not nice. But modern day football criticism. There are people who do it well and people who do it for money. Who are your favourites not employed by The Guardian? Well, Sam Wallace of The, of the, of the Telegraph is, is a very, very good writer. Scoop of the uh, year. Very... Scoop of the year, that big picture. Yeah, um, a very good very good guy as well. I mean, the Telegraph have a good raft of writers, actually. Jason Burt is a good reporter as well. I mean, it's funny, actually. You know, I used to move on the fringes of these circles yeah. uh, a few years ago. Um, I mean, I should mention that uh, he's a good friend of mine, but Miguel Delaney, Miguel. very hard, very hard-working guy. Um, he's at The Independent, very, very good writer. He's um, Newcastle fans aren't so keen on him, but everyone else is. Well, yeah, I, in defence of my, my friend and colleague, uh, Miguel uh, took a principled stand on that, uh, one which I had support, actually. Seconded. It's not really wavered from his point of view on the ownership of, of Manchester City. Now, listen, these are complicated matters, and um, we can all talk about who owns what club and what practices they have behind them, but... Um, Certainly, uh, in the case of uh, Saudi Arabia in particular, um, I don't quite think that what Newcastle fans thought that they were going to get, should there have been a a Saudi ownership, was ever going to come to pass. (sighs) Some of the behaviour of the fans in relation to to Miguel and reporters that weren't backing the bid... um, I found a little distasteful. And this is a trend. I mean, no one attacked David Conn for writing a book where he virtually went, hmm, the trophies are all well and good. And this kind of attacks are not attacks, but, you know, faceless messages to the messenger. There's a reason people say don't shoot the messenger. Yes. And and these are just these are trained journalists who dissect and um, and make facts from fiction and make the fact make sense. And if there is something fictitious, they will call it out. And so there is an art to reporting. I, I actually separate football writing into two camps, the kind of Glanville Wilson school of laptopery and thinking, and then the reportage that kind of Matt Lawton does or David Conn yeah. at The Guardian. And I'm trying to think of another investigative journalist at The Guardian. Nick Ames, I think, is investigative. Well, Nick Nick would do both sides of it. Very good, very good connections at Arsenal. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's just I, not I mean, nice this behaviour from human beings. Well, towards yeah, human beings. Uh, in the past, reporters have reported stories that fans of football clubs wouldn't have liked. But uh, in the you know, it was the days of green ink, so someone might write you know 
uh, you know, a, a letter or, or make a phone call, but now it's at the touch of a button and you can abuse someone, you can sort of sock puppet accounts and all the rest of it. And, you know, I've had my fair share of oh, yeah. abuse over the years, but um, I think there comes a point, I mean, a lot of the time, uh, I mean, this is no trade secret, a lot of the time when a lot of us, you know, uh, can be almost you, you can almost laugh it off but there does there is there is a sinking point or a, a, a breaking point of this and uh, some of my colleagues have been subject to some pretty awful abuse just for reporting the facts and producing a story that people didn't like uh the cut of its jib so uh, yeah. it's, 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 that's the way things go no i i knew johnny lou when he was younger and he'll he's teflon i think he's made of steel Johnny, yes. he's, and he's a, such a great, great signing. I did wonder why bring in Johnny when Barney's there, but hey, a Shilton Clements problem. Yeah, I read Johnny, I read Barney. Barney's written a book, Johnny hasn't yet. You haven't written a book, but you have, as well as contributing to the Blizzard, you've contributed to this book, 365, The World's Greatest Football Grounds. Now, your name is in, I guess, little print on the cover. So right. of the 365, can you pinpoint certain essays that you've written oh right yes i mean i i uh that's what that is a magazine in uh in holland or the netherlands i should say uh, called santos which i suppose it's a you know it's a paper magazine old style not online uh like uh this jossie man over in norway or not dissimilar to the blizzard in fact um, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a pretty swanky coffee table type item. They did a, a supplement on uh, football stadia. Uh, when would that be? Over the summer of 2020, I wrote a piece for them on Craven Cottage, and then the editor Bart uh, asked me if I could help out with editing some of the other stuff that they had through. Um, there was. Um, there was a guy who wrote a piece on uh, attending the stadium in Casablanca. Um, Grant Fleming was his name. Uh, he used to be, uh, a, well, he, he was, he's a photographer, a journalist, um, and used to be involved with the rock band Primal Scream. So, yeah, a sort of, you know, punk rocker type of guy. And he wrote a very interesting piece about attending those stadiums uh, over there and uh, a guy called Robbie Dunn who lived in lives in Madrid and I think his piece was about Rey Vallecano which is obviously one of um, Madrid's smaller clubs and yeah I, I edited a few pieces for them they released a magazine um, and I haven't seen a copy of it because they sent it to my mum's address in Macclesfield where I've not been back since but she tells me it's a very glossy, lovely magazine. She was very proud of me for being in it. So, so, so there you go. <laughs> Glamour to the streets yeah. of Macclesfield. Yeah. Um, Mike Bailey wrote, brought out a book at the end of last year, which is very similar. But this football library that I do hope to um, bring to life, it will have a coffee table in the Andy Holt Lounge which right. will be the DOS room with the words good morning, by the way, on the walls. And it will be a chance for people to plot... How to revolutionise football, not in the Eurofa way, but in the way that you can look at these coffee table books like 365, The World's Greatest Football Grounds, priced at £25, about 500 pages. Just marvel at the glossy nature of football, which has um, football books sell and the football 
uh, library holds hundreds of books and programmes and magazines in every issue of the Blizzard. And it will also maybe stock all the back copies. Was there an Observer Football Monthly back in the day? I know you weren't working there. Sport Monthly? Sport Sport Monthly. Sport Monthly, yeah. Yeah. So all the copies of that. Because I used to, as a sixth former, I remember vividly Friday mornings reading John Harris and Paul Morley and Alexis Petridis in the uh, Guardian's film and music on Fridays. I do apologise that I never used the computer in the common room to go to ESPN Soccernet. I wish I could have done because I would have read tons of work by you. Apparently it was a very popular website um, before obviously The Guardian and others took it over. But would you say that Football 365 was your closest rival, Soccernet? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Soccernet was set up by father and son team and it was bought by... Uh, first the Daily Mail, and then uh, brought out by ESPN in the year 2000, which is when I came down to London and started working for them. Now, <laughs> Football 365, which was started off, I think, uh, I'm, I'm fairly sure if this was by Danny Kelly, right. uh, they were our sort of rivals in that very, those very early frontier period um, of internet journalism. Uh, owned by ESPN, we worked in the Disney building, uh, which is at Hammersmith, but mm-hmm. you got Hammersmith Tube here above. We used to have a, a, a joke that Football 365, which was actually based... Not far away. Not Well, I don't think so, but obviously it moved to Leeds not long after that, I think. But um, uh, if you looked out of our window, we were on the third floor, you could see uh, that there was... Uh, there's a shot, it's still there, actually, the Lebanese Taverna. And on the top, there was a shed... And we used to joke that that was Football 365 shed and that they were working out of that shed. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was all quite friendly. Um, actually, they could be... They used to... Uh, I mean, the media watch column that they still run to this yeah. day. They used to call us soccer, S-H-I... Yeah, you get the rest of it. Oh, how but, hilarious. Yeah. Oh, Bant. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this was, I suppose this was proto-Banter frontier period. <laughs> and, you know... Yeah. Uh, over the years, I mean, um, I've come to know a few of those chaps. Um, uh, Philip, in fact, uh, who I mentioned before, was, was one of them. And uh, Nick Miller, of course, yeah. was a Conningham friend. Uh, totally football. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and Daniel Story, obviously, uh, who I think still does a column for them. So, yeah, I've, I've come to know those chaps over the years. But, yeah, there, there was a rivalry there. There were, there were other... Who, who was about? I mean, there was team talk. There were... Some pretty grand projects. There was one called Sport Owl at the time. That, you know, this sounds like an article. If you don't yeah. write this, I will. The kind of the attention wars of modern football, circa two thousand and one. Because obviously yeah. everything was really low quality, and the pages would take ages to load. Yes, but obviously you would have seen the numbers for people just getting this dial-up internet at home, and they would think, "Where do I get my football news?" Soccernet. That must have been astonishing as people kind of phoned you up every week and go, I've just read your column. Yeah, it, at one point there was a, the idea that ours was the most logged into football website. I don't think these days ESPN can claim that anymore. Um, but it, it, there, there was that. It was part of ESPN, but it was only loosely affiliated. The, the links grew closer, grew closer as the years went on. But for the most part, our readership was not, uh, within the UK, even though we were based out of London. So our, our readership in the US, when that link to ESPN became closer, was huge. It really was. I mean, it was 
I think I'll be correct in saying it will be 40-45% at certain points and for World Cups and particularly the 2002 World Cup when uh, the US team did very well the figures were absolutely massive and, uh, you know, would you would you speak to American athletes at the time or the the goalkeepers who were based in Britain I mean <laughs> I have to be honest at that point uh, we had a small team of probably five of us and we were seven days a week uh, sometimes 20 hours a day and mm. we were pretty much chained to the desk and it was a lot of content shoveling it wasn't until an expansion maybe later towards the end of that the 2000s that we were able to get out out and about a bit more and speak to people we pretty much concentrated on the basics i have to say the budget was not large we were pretty much about plumbing in the information that the readers snapped up a few opinion pieces here and there we had a raft of writers oh, um, name some of them well uh we had uli hess who yep. you may know is a german writer who had a column every week or two uh, about German football but a guy called Phil Ball uh, who you might know uh, wrote a book on a history of Spanish football called Morbo I um, am I've I said to Phil in December I'm going to speak to you about Grimsby and about Spain and I've delayed and delayed and delayed because I need to read Morbo so yeah we had Phil uh, doing that and uh, we had a a tremendous Italian uh, writer his name is Roberto Gotta and I think Roberto's still about but um you know, incredibly uh, flowery writing about Italian football and really gave us a, a flavour there. So we used them. Um, one of the chaps that uh, he's still about these days and is one of the best in the business, to Richard Jolly, um, yep. who worked, worked with us on the desk for, at the start. And then uh, he decided to set himself up as uh, a writer up in the Northwest. And Richard is the guy that, if, you, if you're on Twitter and you will see... Uh, uh-huh the most random um, statistical tweet uh, of all time, Richard Jolly. Rich Jolly is his Twitter name. You will see some absolute classics. But Richard works with us at The Guardian. He works for The National, uh, which is a, a, a paper in the Emirates. He works for The Independent, The Telegraph. He's freelancer's freelancer, in fact, and also the quickest transcriber in the West. Mm. So, so he's also uh, a very popular chap amongst those who uh, do the press conferences because <laughs> Richard types it out and sends it to everybody. So God, that's an unsung hero. I'd love to talk. I've been in some press conferences, not too many. I covered some of the Women's FA Cup finals. Sure. 